Thank you for listening to this sermon by Grace Point Church. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website at gracepointaz.com, or better yet, come be our guest on a Sunday morning. Good morning, Grace Point Church. Thank you so much for being here. Will you stand with me as we read through God's Word? If you'd like to follow along with the reading and you need a Bible, they can be found in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't have a Bible at home, we invite you to take this one with you. Or if you know someone that needs a Bible, please take this one and give it to them. We'd love for you to have God's Word in your hands throughout the week. Today's scripture will be taken from the book of Jonah, chapter 2, verse 1 through 10, and it can be found on that Bible on page 774. Follow along with me as I read. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountain. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for bringing us here this morning. God, we're uh, so um, blessed that we have a, a fun and exciting church. And God, uh, God, we pray for the, uh, the dads that are here and just pray that they would have good days. Uh, pray for Jason as he brings a sermon. Pray that we would just hear it this morning and, and take something from it and apply it to our week. Pray for these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, you can grab a seat. If you're new around here, our favorite way to go through the Bible is book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And so we're two weeks deep in a four-week series on Jonah. Our creative team gets real creative when we do a book of the Bible. We just name the series the book of the Bible. That's what we do. So we're in the book of Jonah today. We're going to Jonah chapter two. Uh, so uh, it's week two, chapter two, but you can go back and catch chapter one. Uh, you can go to Facebook or YouTube or Spotify. Just look for Joe Reg- Rogan and take a right. You'll find us. And so uh, we're in all, we're all, all the places, all the platforms. Uh, but what, where we found Jonah last week, we found this prophet who has a ministry resume. He's a guy that God has used to prophesy under a couple of different kings in the Old Testament. He's not a no-name guy. He doesn't just all of a sudden show up in uh, the book of Jonah. Um, We kind of know about him just a little bit. God uh, calls to him. He has a clear word from God that he's supposed to go to Nineveh and preach basically like a revival-type week service and warn them of the impending judgment of God against them for their sins. And so Jonah gets a clear word from God, and he clearly runs from God. He does not want to do what God has called him to do. Jonah's not alone in that. Anybody who's in here today, God has told you to do something that seemed like crazy talk. If you follow Jesus around, he's going to get you in a bind. He's going to tell you to confront something when you are not a confrontational person. He's going to tell you to keep your mouth shut whenever you are used to saying everything that you think, feel, and and want to say. He's going to tell you to be generous whenever you want to hold on to your money. He's going to tell you to forgive whenever you want to throat punch somebody that got at you. Like He will tell you to do things that don't come natural to you and you will disobey. 
I don't, I don't know if that's you, but if that's you, you're normal, all right? So that's Jonah. So, so I just want to let you know right away, the story of Jonah is not about how Jonah is awesome and we should be like Jonah. It's how Jonah is faithful and unfaithful. Like in each chapter at a time, he does the right thing with a really bad heart. And then he turns to the Lord and he's, you know, we're good, we're good. And then he's, and he's bad again. He's you, he's me. This book shows us the work that God will do in someone's life uh, who's, got really, really, a really thick skull, guys like me and people maybe like you. So we see the work of God in Jonah's life, and we also see the compassion of God. Like this is Old Testament Israel stuff, and the way that you would become a Christian or the family of God is you would move to Israel, and you would uh, obey the ceremonial law, the civil law. You would become a citizen there, and you would have a priest, and you would bring your animal to be sacrificed by the priest. Like you would not eat pork. You wouldn't eat lobster. Like you followed the dietary law, and you lived as an Israelite. So it was perplexing that God would send Jonah to go and prophesy and preach in a city that is not Israelite. In fact, they're the enemies of God. And so we learn that, that God is using Jonah, who's a bit racist, and he, and he doesn't have love for these people that are his enemies, and he doesn't want God to pour compassion out upon them, but God does anyway, and he's doing a work in Jonah, and he's doing a work in Nineveh. So last week, we see that Jonah runs from God. God says, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Jonah goes to Tarshish. He gets on a boat. Uh, the, the winds and the waves rise up, and he gets swallowed up by Megalodon or a whale or however you want to read it. I read it that it's Megalodon. It just says a great fish. So that's what, you know, sharks are cool. So that's what I think. But, but what we see this week is how God runs for Jonah. Jonah runs from God. God runs for him. And if you are here and you are a son or daughter of God, a little sister or brother to big brother Jesus, then when you disobey and flee from God, God will work in your life to discipline you and correct you and put pain in your life that will lead to peace. So he works through circumstances. And that's what we're going to see is how Jonah runs from God. God runs after Jonah. You cannot flee the presence of God. God will pursue you. He does pursue you if you're his. You can be a knucklehead. You can be defiant. You can be disobedient. And like a good dad, he'll run you down and love you well. And because God loves him well, through these painful circumstances, Jonah's heart turns to God in prayer. And so all of chapter two is Jonah's prayer that's recorded probably by Jonah when he was in the belly of the Megalodon. This is what he says to God. So that's what we're going to work through today, all right? Jonah 2, 1 says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. And then we'll get into what he says in a minute. I just want to pause there for this verse. And notice how it is juxtaposed to the prayers that the sailors prayed in chapter 1 when they all called out to their own God. If there were four sailors, they called out to four different gods because they were very superstitious or pragmatic. The winds and, and the, sea has, the sea has risen up because of the winds, and they just called out to anybody who might help, anything that might work. You know, this might be like the little rabbit's foot you had. I don't know about you, but I was a superstitious little guy. Like whenever I played baseball, I had a whole thing like... Uh, you know, I, I, before I went to the batter's box, I watched enough Deion Sanders to see what Deion did. When I played football, I, I did all the pre-stuff like Deion did. I wanted to wear the You Gotta Believe headband. Now, I was like third string, so I didn't believe very much. But, uh, <laughs> but I was all about it. I had a rabbit's foot, and I didn't grow up Catholic at all. And so I would do this thing sometimes just like because people would do that. I had no idea when I was a kid what it meant, but I just knew I, I believe in God, and that might work, and I could hit a home run if I do that before I go bat. Like, that's kind of the way that I was, and that's how the sailors were before 
God calmed the sea and they gave their life to, to God and they made sacrifices for him and they put their faith in creator God, the creator of land and sea. We see that in Jonah chapter one. But maybe some of you, your life gets painful and you just start to try to turn to whatever works and you're here today because there's pain in your life and I, and I applaud you for that. That's the way God will work in your life. It's not weak sauce for you to go, my marriage isn't where I want it to be or my kids are not who I thought they would be or my job is not where I wanted it to be and so I've come here hopefully that this will help. Well, you've come to the right place but I don't want you to come to the right place with a wrong heart. My hope today is to help you have the right heart, the heart that Jonah has at least in Jonah chapter two. Don't have the heart of Jonah in the other chapters but Jonah chapter two is the right place. The first thing I wanna say is prayer is an act of faith. It's not an act of superstition. The author wants us to know for sure that Jonah's praying to his God. This is personal. God is his dad and he is his son and he is in his presence and he's with God. And so some of you, when life throws you a curveball, you're, you're one of these two kinds of people. One of you are probably reactionary. You just respond and react to whatever is happening to you. You live off of spiritual or physical or emotional adrenaline. Your fight or flight is always engaged. You go to work, didn't expect that, so you fight or flight. You go home, didn't expect that, so you fight or flight. You just react to life. Then some of you make life react to you. You're planners. So you have budgets and you have ideas, you have plans and you have systems and you're ready for anything that might happen. What I'm asking both of you to do is to bend your knee and bow your head and pray, not as an act of pragmatism or superstition, I'll say more about that in a minute, but to be present with God. Man, um, I'll never forget one day I was out in the woods and uh, I saw a beautiful Tom turkey. And the reason I saw him is because I called him to me. And so I called him to me and looked at him for a little bit and I was afraid he'd run off, so I shot him. I don't know where you're at with that, but that's where I'm at with this. They taste good. So I got me one, and I ran up and got him, and I brought him home and dressed him out and all that, and I called on my family, and I said, we're having turkey this weekend, wild turkey. My dad got excited. No, I'm just kidding. I, this one goes online. I can't say that. <laughs> 9 a.m., fellas. We'll put the 9 a.m. online. <laughs> so I tell my family that we're going to have this wild turkey. And so my grandparents come in, and that's a big deal. They don't drive at night. And so we go to borrow a turkey fryer. And it's like the second or third time I've used a turkey fryer. And so the guy who's let me borrow it hands it to me and he says, do you know how to use this? And I said, yes, it's a turkey fryer. So I take it back. And, and, and as I look at it, I'm like, okay, all right. So the top and the bottom look exactly the same. He made it himself, like he was a welder and he welded the burner on and, and the platform, like you, the part you put the fryer on or the pot you fry the bird in was the same size and shape as the bottom that you put on the ground. And so I just put it together, I lit the fire, and it took four hours for the grease to start heating up. Couldn't figure out what was going on. Finally, my wife comes outside and she goes, I don't think that thing's right. I'm like, it's, it's just a fryer. I mean, how wrong could it get? And she's like, I think you got that thing upside down. And I said, there's no way that I lit this burner and I've got this fryer upside down. There's just something wrong with the fryer. And she goes, honey, there's a way that it's upside down. So we take it all apart, we turn it the other way, and we light it, we're like, oh, it was upside down! And we just went, like I didn't spend time with, the guy's name was James, I should have just slowed down like, hey, you made the thing, how does it work? I just took it for me, like, yeah, I'll figure it out. That's, I, I understand, fellas, happy Father's Day, that's what, we're gonna get stuff today and not read the instructions, and we'll have parts left over. That's just the way it is. But don't do that with life. 
Like pray and be with God because prayer is not pragmatic. Like, oh, God has plans and I'm gonna trade plans with him. Yes, that's true, but prayer is about being in the presence of God. It's like crawling up in your dad's lap and pulling on his beard and just giggling with him and laughing at stuff. Hey, pull my finger and all that stuff. It's like being with him. That's what prayer is. It's an act of faith, not superstition and not pragmatism. Prayer acknowledges our trust and dependence on Father God. So when you pray, pray to the Father in the name of Jesus, and those prayers are empowered by the Holy Spirit, God. Now let's look at Jonah's prayer. Jonah says, uh, this very vulnerable prayer, he's very transparent with us, uh, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. And so his disobedience has brought distress. Not all distress is because you disobeyed God. Sometimes we just live in a broken, fallen world and pain comes, not because you disobeyed, but just because you're alive. He says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, but he answered me out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. Now, we are kind of chronological snobs compared to Jonah. Here's what I mean by that. You and I have a much more robust theology on heaven and hell and angels and demons and creation and the gospel, and the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Like you and I have such a broader view and, and more understanding because we have more Bible than what Jonah had. Now what Jonah, he was a good Israelite from thousands of years ago who just kind of thought of death as Sheol. They don't understand it, but we die. We just, that's, so what he's talking about is I'm dying. I ran from God, I'm in this fish, and I'm probably going to die. That's what he's calling Sheol. But you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep. That's important because who cast him into the deep? The sailors, if you know the story. At Jonah's request, he probably thought, at least I'll die and don't have to go to Nineveh. But Jonah sees that his circumstances are through the vision and love of Father God, that God is at work through his circumstances in his life to get him to bend his knee, bow his head, and be present with God through this prayer. He said, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. So he has a vision for the presence of God as he's suffering, he's dying, but he's clinging to this vision and this idea that God is his dad, and he's in the, in, he's in the throne room of the temple where the presence of God is. And he says, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down into the land uh, whose bars closed up upon me forever. Yet you brought up life from the pit. How many of you ever been to the ocean? I thought it was gonna be awesome. I went to the beach once. And I thought it'd be great because it looks awesome. But I got there, it's like there's sand everywhere. Everywhere, by everywhere, you know what I mean. Everywhere. And then you get out in the water and you think, this is odd, but there's people everywhere. It's like Six Flags or Disneyland on this little beach. And then you go out in the water and there's sharks out there and they get hungry and they're looking for you. And then the waves came coming in and there's people all around you and you're like, this is just like getting bullied. That's what this is like. Now, maybe you had a better experience. Maybe you had a private beach. I've never been on a private beach. I just went to the beach where I felt like the waves were beating me up and people were beating me up and the sand was making me chafe like it was not a good day. So if you've ever, that's what Jonah's going through. He's like, the, if you've ever been on the ocean and it got bad, that's what Jonah is going through. And we call this living in the land of death. 
And some of you are living in the land of death. I have lived in the land of death. As a son of God, because of my disobedience, there has been distress in my life and in the life of others because I thought what God was calling me to do was gonna be more painful, so I wanted more comfort. So me chasing after comfort has created more pain. Now, I don't know if you've, if you've ever been there, but so if you're a student and you're like, and I don't know, this is new. I don't know if y'all know this. Parents, life hack, get on top of this sooner than later. But your kids can just not turn in their homework. I had no idea that was a thing. I'm like, you have a zero in this class and it's the fourth week of school. Yeah, I just need to turn my stuff in. Ha! Ha! How does that work? Like, yeah, I just need to file my taxes. Yeah, I just need to pay those bills. Like, life is not like this. Whenever I didn't turn my work in, like, it brought pain on my backside. And, you know, it was different. I don't, anyways, maybe my life was different than yours. You're looking at me funny. But it was a problem. And like, anyway, but so you like, I'm getting away with it. I'm getting away with it. And then you have like a week of, I got to get all my stuff caught up or this ain't going to be good for me. I'm going to have to do this year again. Like, We've done that with life. We do that financially. We know what the Lord calls us to. If you read enough Bible, you know, you need to work enough that you can have a life. And when you work enough to have a life, you need to give some money away to fund ministry at your church. You need to be generous with other people. You need to save some money. You need to invest some money and live off less than you make. And then you're like, but I want a boat (laughs) or a bigger house or a pool or whatever it is. And you live in conflict. And you say, I know what God's vision is for that stuff, but I have a vision for comfort for me. And then you're ret- you want to retire and you can't. Or then you're stressed out of your mind. You can't sleep at night because you don't know how you're going to pay all those bills. Or now you're working three jobs. Like you're, you're, you, were, you thought it would be uncomfortable to downsize your house, bend your bills around Jesus, but now you're in distress. Same thing happens physically. You're like, you know you shouldn't only eat foods that end with Eatos. But who among us, right? Like naps are nice, you know you should eat less, move more, and you're like, but it's fine. And then all of a sudden you're in your 40s and you have elevated blood pressure and you're, you know, your heart beats just fast for no reason sometimes. And I mean, that's what I hear. And, <laughs> and you realize I didn't get away with that. Like I have distress because I didn't treat my body the way that I should have treated my body. It happens in relationships. The people you're closest to, the people you love. God would tell you like, hey, husbands and wives, cherish your wife and love her well. Respect your husband well. And then you just tell each other anything you say or think. Now, you don't do that anywhere else, but you're like, because I love you so much, I'll tell you everything I think about your meatloaf or whatever. And you wound each other with words and deeds, and you have no filtered dialogue. You have unfiltered dialogue. And the Proverbs would say, only a fool gives full vent to everything you think and say. Everything you say needs to be true, but everything that's true doesn't always have to be said. Sometimes you can weaponize truth and you can wound people. And some of you have been doing that. And you're like, how come that person don't text me back? How come they don't want to come see me on Father's Day? What's going on? What kind of world did you build with your disobedience? Is there distress in your relationships, relational death, because of your disobedience and spiritually How many of you like, I know I should read the Bible. I know I should have a prayer life. I know I should have a devotional time, but I'll just get a sermon once a week. And I promise, here's what happens. If you just show up and get a sermon, I don't care how good the sermon is. After about six months to a year or whatever, you go, man, I don't get fed at that church no more. (laughs) I'm gonna have to go find another one. And you live your whole life that way. And what you need to do is find a church that helps stir your appetite so you'll feed your dang self. The word of God. Yeah, thanks. The word of God. Some of you are living in the land of death and God will let you. 
as his kids. And the purpose of that is so you'll turn to him and go, I just want to be with my dad. That's what Jonah's doing. I just want to be with my dad. And I can be with him in the belly of this megalodon or this whale or whatever it is. I don't need my circumstances to change to be with my dad. Verse 8, he deals with the idea of idolatry. He says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Now, this is in reference to the sailors when they started calling out, maybe, you call out to your God. You call out to your God. You call out to your God. Maybe your God will hear us and he'll save us. So that's the difference between worship, which is what Jonah is doing now in his dilemma, versus the idolatry of the sailors at the time who eventually did put their faith in creator God and make sacrifices to him. But again, prayer is not superstition or pragmatism. It's not a ritual that we do hoping that'll give us good luck and good karma. And it's not pragmatism like, oh yeah, we'll pray so that things work out. That's why we pray. And if things didn't work out the way I wanted them to, maybe I didn't pray hard enough or have enough faith or mean it like I needed to mean it. What Jonah is showing us is it's the object of our faith that brings the power, not just the act of faith itself. It's whoever's arms you're running to. And what he's saying is that vain idols, they, they won't give you mercy and grace and steadfast love. Like sex will not set its affection upon you and be faithful to you and give you scandalous grace and love. Sex will betray you. If you worship sex, you'll destroy your relationships, maybe even destroy your body. If you worship money, you'll uh, use people because you love money and you'll destroy relationships and you'll put all your trust thinking money will be your security and your significance. And you realize money's not your significance because nobody's wearing Bugle Boy anymore. Wait around 10 years, maybe they'll do it again. Then you put all your money into your 403B or 401K or your Roth IRA or whatever it was. And then 2008 happened and you were going to retire in 2009. And some of y'all are still working to get back what you lost. It will betray you. Only Father God will not betray you. Now, some of you feel betrayed because you're in the belly of a fish right now. And you don't realize the belly of the fish is not an act of God's judgment. It's an act of his grace. God doesn't punish his kids. He disciplines his kids to turn their affection back toward him because in his arms is the best place for us to be. The object of our prayer is where the power source is. Notice it was not the fish who saved Jonah or Jonah would be praying to the fish. It was the God of the fish who sent the fish to save Jonah. So God prays to the Father of grace. In verse nine, but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. The presence of God is a greater gift than the absence of suffering. That's what Jonah's learning. The presence of God is a greater gift than the absence of suffering. This is how it kind of started out for me. This is what prayer looked like for me. I got saved as a kid, and I, I was like seven years old. I didn't quite get it all, but especially as a teenager, like there was a season of my life whenever I'd read the Bible and understand something and just, it was intellectually stimulating. It was emotionally fulfilling, relationally fulfilling. Like I have friends who love me. I have a church surrounding me. I'm learning new things. And even inside church life, like, man, in other ways, like maybe at school, I struggle with grades or on the football team, I couldn't start. But like, and God has gifted me in such a way that I can get in front of people and talk or sing. And God uses it to make disciples. And I just felt like a safe place. And every time I would ask for something, God would give it to me or so it seemed. 
And so I had all this value added to my life, and it just kind of seemed like everyone's missing out on this Jesus thing, which is true. And if you'll get him, man, your life will go from suck to amazing, which can be true. Just depends on what what lens you're looking through. And then I go to this season of life where everything gets really hard. And used to, I could just do my little thing and... It would work, and then it's like, no, man, now I gotta like learn leadership, and people like relationships are failing, and I was faithful there, but they're they're walking out of my life, and like things are not the way that I wanted them to be financially or relationally or different things, and so then I start praying like, God, what happened? Did I like get away from you? Did you get away from me? Did I flee your presence? Like, what's the deal? I want this person to get saved, and they're not getting saved. I want stuff in this person's life. I want this cancer to go away, and it's just getting worse, and. Lord, I don't understand what's going on. And then all of a sudden, I just started going to God like he was a vending machine. I kept asking for Snickers and he kept giving me broccoli. I don't know if that's just me, but like I'd go to him and be like, here is my request. And then he would be like, no, <laughs> no. Like, I don't understand. When I was 17, like I asked for a wife and you gave me Carrie. Like I was like, bring me the woman. And here she is, you know? <laughs> Yeah, maybe that's too much. I don't know. (laughs) But some of you are there, and you're like, my prayers aren't working anymore. God's not working in my life like I thought he would. You were in a season where it seemed like all he does is give. He, He gives, he gives, he adds, he adds. Then you're in a season where it feels like he takes away. He only takes away. But God is doing both simultaneously at the same time, and he's working in your life through when he gives, through when he says yes or later, and he's working in your life through when he says no. And it's prayer that changes our hearts. So we go from this giddiness of like, it just seems like I get everything I want. Like I got this wealthy dad and I just ask him for new stuff and he gives it to me. And then I, keep, I start asking for stuff. Then we kind of change. Like remember when you were kids, like it's Father's Day, let's just be real. Like remember like when you sat down to eat the same food your mom and dad had made you forever and then all of a sudden you're like, this is disgusting to me, I don't want this. Like, well, what do you want? You're like, McDonald's or I die, you know? <laughs> And then like when you're 15, a $100 bill would be awesome. When you're 16, a $100 bill is an insult because you expected a car, you know? Then it's like graduation. You're like, well, some kids are getting MacBook Pros and you're like getting a gift card to Cabela's or something, you know? And all of a sudden it's like nothing's good enough anymore. You want more. Like you got old enough to get Instagram. You see what other people are doing on credit and you want that in your life and you're ungrateful. And you go to God and your prayers have become complaints. It's just like, dear diary, day 547 of not having what I want. God, I don't know if you're weak or I'm weak, but what is the deal? Right? So prayer, being with God, changes us. It changes us. And you'll know you're walking in maturity when you pray, whenever your heart begins to move and these three things start to show up in the way that you pray. Number one is you move from complaining to thanking God for stuff in your life. I know it's a cliche thing to say, but the older I get, I don't care anymore. I don't care about cultural style points or being cool anymore at all, all right? I mean, mostly. (laughs) Being honest, I'm like, oh God, you know, tell the truth. But an attitude of gratitude. When your prayers are filled with God, thank you for my family. Thank you that for whatever I have, Thank you for the things that you've given. Thank you for working in my life. Thank you for this thing that's bad that is pushing me into your arms that is good. That's the second thing that happens is you can say about stuff in your life that this is bad, but God, you are good. 
Because I don't know if you've ever been there, but I've been there where it's like, well, this is bad. And God, I thought you were good. But if you are sovereign and you're in control, then why would you let bad stuff happen to me? Because if I was God, I wouldn't let bad stuff happen to me. And God's like, oh, I know. That's why you are not God. And some of you are there like you're like, God is sovereign, but he can't be good because if he's sovereign and good, then why cancer? Why estrangement in relationships? Why are things not working the way that I had planned? And why is all this chaos in my life that I'm reacting to and responding to? But what you realize when you have an attitude of gratitude and you believe Romans 8, 28, which is a weird verse if you think about it. Romans 8, 28 sounds great when you're on a mountaintop. That, God, that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those called according to his purpose. If you're sons or daughters of God, then everything in your life is working for good. But I don't know if you're like me, there was a time when I read like, only good things will happen to me. It's not what it says. It says all things will work for your good. And it doesn't say all things will work for your good and you'll see how. It doesn't say that. It's an act of faith and trust. God, in ways that I can't understand, when your prayers go like this, this is bad. I don't like this. I don't want this. I don't see any good in this. But you, Father, are good. You're good. And I can't draw the lines yet. I don't see how it works yet. And I may never in this lifetime until I'm with you in glory. But I will live my life saying, cancer is bad, but God is good. Divorce is bad. God is good. Adultery was bad. God is good. This is bad, but God, you're good. I trust you. I rest in you. That's when you can say, this, it ain't okay. But me, I'm okay because I'm in the shade of the cross. It's blistering out there everywhere else, but I'm at rest in the presence of the Lord. And the third thing that happens as you pray is your comfort is not a change of scenery, but it is the presence of the Savior. So your prayers may go, Lord, give me a different job. Lord, give me different kids. Lord, give me different something. And the real work is for God to be enough and Jesus to be enough and you to realize you probably need something from those people or from that job for your identity. And repentance would be, no, 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 no. God, you are for me. I want to be here for that job and for my family and for my friends and for my church and for my city. I have everything I need from Jesus, and I'm here to serve and love. You know, your comfort isn't a change of scenery, but it's the presence of the Savior. So, some of us need to pray. Like, really pray. You've been planning, or you've been reacting, or you've been complaining and griping. Like, you've been going into the booth, getting stuff off your chest, like Dre gave you a beat in your M&M in 2003. Acknowledge that it's bad right now. You can do that. That's Jonah's prayer. Seaweed around my neck. I'm at the foot of these mountains. I think I'm going to die. But God, you're good. And if I close my eyes for the last time, the last thing I want to see in my imaginary mind is the, your presence. And then I want to be with you if I've breathed my last breath because God, you're good. Some of you need to pray like that. It needs to start today. And some of you need salvation. And I don't mean salvation from your circumstances. I mean salvation from your destination. That because of your sin, because of your disobedience, if you are not sons and daughters of God, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, your destination is Sheol and hell. Not just death, not just cease to exist, but eternal torment in the lake of fire 
forever. And here's the scandal of, the great, of God's grace. You've lived like hell. You haven't prayed. You haven't worshiped the Lord. You haven't concerned him. And on a day like today, through pain in your life, you come to turn to him and you hear that Jesus lived the life that you failed to live by obeying commandments while you broke commandments. And then Jesus goes to the cross to pay for the breaking of commandments and he becomes your sin so that you could become his righteousness. And he didn't just die. He's not just John Lennon or Tupac or a president from times past like he raised from the dead. And he left in the tomb fear, guilt, sin, and shame. And he ascended into heaven and he sent his Holy Spirit, not to a bunch of people who would plan and behave, but a group of people who would believe. And from that belief and from that faith, trusting in the object, the person that we are praying to, in the same way you got in your car and drove here, trusting that your car would get you here safely. You sat in that chair, trusting that it could handle the weight load that you put upon it. You're going to take communion in a minute and trust that this is not a cult and that we're not waiting on a comet. You're going to trust. You use faith every day. What Jonah is showing us is his faith was moved once again into the presence of God, that he is his father. His faith was not in his circumstances. It was in his savior. And some of you are going through it. I get it. And some of you can't relate to that yet, and you will. And I'm asking you to not trust that your circumstances will change. They might, because... The rest of the verse goes like this. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah up out on dry land. And I know some of you want God to puke you up out of this broken marriage or puke you up out of a, a strange relationship with your kid or whatever it is. Get, throw me up out of this job. Unemployment for Jesus, whatever it is. And God can do that. But this is not a sermon about pray like this so your circumstances will change. Pray and your heart will change. And God is the God of all things, and he can do anything he want, wants with your life. And whatever it is, I promise to you, it's a dad using it for your good. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you for Jonah. Man, he's so relatable. He's so relatable. That you clearly call us to do things and believe things, and it's hard for us because we love our comfort and we love our sin. And God, I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, to stir our affections for Jesus and the things that he taught and commanded. And Lord, that we would not live for an identity. That's been exhausting us, but we would live from the identity that you have provided, that you would save us by your life, death, and resurrection, Lord, that you would come to us in our day of distress and work in our life to bring us back into your presence. You never left. We're not really out of your presence, but our perspective has abandoned your presence. And God, I pray that you would use whatever's happening in our life today to fix our eyes back on Jesus, our hope. In his name we pray, amen.